This week on Telescope, we're focusing on education, on how COVID changed it, and what it might look like going forward. We've looked at it through the lens of toddlers, then high schoolers, and now we've arrived at our final episode in the series, college. For lots of students and their parents, college is what it's all leading up to. Some parents in this country start saving for college when their children are still in diapers. I know we have. There's a reason for that. Without a college degree, there are lots of jobs that won't look twice at your application. In many ways, college is like a test you have to pass even to be in the running. And it's a test you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to take. But a lot of what you're ostensibly paying for, at least for the expensive colleges, is the quote-unquote college experience. Being on campus, meeting other students, bumping into eccentric, brilliant professors. Anything's possible. Of course, it's a lot more difficult when you're not on campus at all, when your classes are in Zoom. And so, as with many things, COVID has ushered in a new phenomenon. Students and their parents demanding refunds from the very colleges that they desperately hope to get into, saying, we haven't got our money's worth. Give me a refund. Today on Telescope, we look at what college is for, what it's worth, and who's willing to pay for it. To pay full price for an experience that everyone acknowledges is subpar in a variety of ways just seems foolish to me. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this moment. Producer Carla Green has this story. School never came easily to Meredith. When she dreamed about college, she didn't dream of herself at a prestigious, difficult-to-get-into school. It just seemed impossible, too far out of reach. I do have ADHD. I was diagnosed pretty late in my life. I was in eighth grade. And so that was something when I got to high school, I was still just learning how to deal with and manage. My grades were not bad in high school, but definitely... I had waves. I I had one like semester where I would fail my classes and then another semester where I would get straight A's. So it just, it was pretty up and down. She's exaggerating when she says she got all F's. That's, that's, that's crazy. This is Courtney Corda. And you're Meredith's mom. Yes, Meredith's mom. Courtney and her husband live in the quiet, wealthy suburb where Meredith grew up, Danville. It's about 80% white, median household income of 150000 30 minutes outside of San Francisco. She did get an F at once in high school. But, you know, for somebody with her academic ambitions, that was a turning point. For kids who plan to go to college or are expected to, there's this silent drumbeat running underneath all of high school. How will this affect my chances? Getting into a good college, a college that'll give you a diploma that'll allow you to have a good job, it can feel all-consuming. Everything takes on this extra weight. Every misstep feels like it can damn you, even just one F. Courtney said things changed for her daughter after that. She earned that F and she, she owned it and she went to summer school and remediated it. The second time around, she got an A. 
Meredith's always known about UC Berkeley. It's where her mom went to school, and it's just a 30-minute drive from Danville. When she was a kid, her parents took her to see this German cabaret show that Berkeley students put on every year. The cabaret show was amazing, especially for Meredith. Meredith grew up speaking German. She had a German au pair as a child. And German's one of the reasons Meredith was excited to go to college. She kept up with the language, took classes online as a kid, but she didn't like them. She wanted the real thing, in person. So I was excited to have, like, my college German classes. But even after seeing that cabaret show and knowing her mom had gone to Berkeley for college, Meredith never really imagined herself there. I never thought that I was smart enough or just academically strong enough to go to a school like Cal. UC Berkeley, or as some people call it, Cal. I grew up liking Cal just because of how like academically ranked it is. And I just, I always thought of it as a school that I could never get into. Throughout high school, I just never thought I could get there. Um, I looked at all the other UCs. Meredith wasn't wrong about Berkeley. It's really hard to get into. Just 17% of students who apply get in. About the same as Oxford in England. But as Meredith settled into high school, her grades improved. She ran track and her race times became impressive. She realized she might have a shot. She was reaching out to college track coaches. And she reached out to Berkeley's, which was quietly exciting for Courtney. So were you kind of secretly rooting for Berkeley? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Meredith ended up getting in. She knew Berkeley would be academically challenging. That's one of the reasons she chose it. But when she got there, it was even harder than she expected. For one thing, being a college athlete is basically a part-time job. And then there was her ADHD, which can make it really hard to concentrate, to get your work done, manage your time. All things that are important when you're new to college and already short on time because you're an athlete. So, at first, Meredith was floundering, Courtney says. What I tried to tell her so many times was that I don't care if you have ADHD or you're you're a genius with fantastic executive planning skills. Um, the first semester of college kills a lot of people, you know? Yeah. And it's not something that only happens to kids who struggle with attention. After that first semester, Meredith found her stride. She was doing better at school, doing well on the track team. And then the second semester of her junior year, this past spring... Well, you know what happened. Well, many colleges and universities across the Bay Area are suspending in-person classes. Starting next week, all classes here will be taught online. Across the country, more and more schools are doing the same. An unprecedented move, transitioning millions of students to online classes in just a few days. Routine's important for Meredith, more than for most people. That's how she learned to manage her ADHD in college, planning ahead, sort of a Groundhog Day approach to school and sports. That's why she stayed in Berkeley, in an off-campus apartment with friends from the track team. She was worried that going home would mess up the rhythm that she'd gotten into over the past three years of college. And since March, Meredith's developed a kind of quarantine schedule. She goes on a run pretty much every morning. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to continue doing online school at home. It would have just been too hard. So that's why I stayed. Despite the threat of COVID, Courtney was fine 
with Meredith staying. I was afraid that that we would get into the old dynamic of high school mom and high school daughter and me saying, hey, did you turn in that assignment yet? And I was not looking <laughs> forward to being in that, you know, right. homework cop role again. But it was hard for Meredith to stay motivated, even staying in her Berkeley apartment. For me especially, I just struggle with... Um, attention and maintaining my focus. And that was really, really hard online where I don't even have to keep my camera on on Zoom. So there's no way my professor would know if I wasn't paying attention. And that made it pretty hard sometimes for me. Meredith would do crunches during class to make sure her attention didn't wander. She even tried going back on her ADHD meds, although she didn't like the side effects. Didn't help. But Meredith figured it out enough to complete the semester. She stayed in Berkeley, but she was one of just a few students who did. Campus was a ghost town. It was a really eerie feeling walking around campus and seeing no one and just, it was definitely really weird, for sure. It feels like a strange, historic time to be alive right now. And maybe especially to be a college student. Lots of people have compared this year's Black Lives Matter uprising to another year of uprising. 1968, a time when Berkeley students were pretty famously up in arms. And they know that there's a people in Berkeley who are groovy people. The spirit which built the People's Park is stronger than gas and clubs. And they can't understand why those people are put under curfew, why they're tear gas, and why they're beat with clubs. And even before the murder of George Floyd, university students across the country were involved in another uniquely American form of protest. Meanwhile, students are rebelling against colleges and universities nationwide demanding tuition refunds as classes move online. Lawsuits. Rickenbacker's class action lawsuit is just one of a couple dozen nationwide. Dozens of colleges are being sued by their students and students' parents for refunds after universities were forced to close as the world attempted to contain coronavirus. The lawsuits say that universities failed to hold up their end of the bargain provide the level of education that students were paying for. Some schools, like the New School in Manhattan, issued a partial refund after student pressure. Other schools that were sued have already given students some money back. The University of California system, which includes UC Berkeley, is among those being sued right now. They haven't yet agreed to give any money back. Alongside the lawsuits, some students have even gone on strike, threatening to withhold their tuition entirely unless the school makes what they consider to be acceptable accommodations. Refusing to pay or asking for a refund is a perfectly natural response to not getting what you paid for. Ron Lieber is a New York Times journalist and author of the book, The Price You Pay for College, which is coming out in January of next year. And I think it may have just never occurred to American undergraduates until recently because they didn't believe that they had any power as consumers in this marketplace, right? You grow up and you go to high school in the United States uh, thinking that you're going to have to fight and scrape your way into, you know, whatever uh, the most prestigious or selective school is that you can get into and that you can afford. Lieber says American college students aren't used to demanding things particularly when it comes to money, which is, you know, an uncomfortable topic that uh, most American children and American teens are not trained very well to handle or talk about, uh, let alone to ask for. But I have to say, I, I think it's, you know, perfectly reasonable and probably more than a little healthy um, that people are standing up for themselves as consumers of this product and asking for more and asking for better. There are a couple of different reasons why people go to college, Ron says. 
Going to college to learn in pursuit of knowledge is one obvious one. Another is going because you need the diploma. And another is going to meet people, professors, and also your fellow students, students who are interested in the same things that you are. Some of those reasons still hold if classes are online, but others don't. If I was a parent, and you know, I'm a parent of a 14-year-old, so I'm a couple years from facing this down, I would be asking myself serious questions about whether I was willing to pay full price for a totally remote experience and to pay full price uh, for an experience that everyone acknowledges is subpar in a variety of ways just seems foolish to me. Colleges make a hard sell, and people expect they'll deliver on it. I mean, look, you look at all of the marketing material, you know, and these, these schools spend in total a, about a billion dollars each year uh, just seeking out students and trying to convince them to come. You look at all of this marketing material, and much of it is about, like, the glory and privilege and wonder of an undergraduate residential four-year experience. And so you strip the residential away And it's not that you're left with nothing, but it's not what you came for. It's not what you saved for. It's not what you thought you would be paying for. And so if you're not going to get it, why would you write a check for full price uh, if you're not going to get, you know, even half of what you thought you'd come for? We're living in a time of strikes. As everything has gotten more expensive, while wages have stayed pretty much the same, The labor movement has had a resurgence across the United States. And COVID's only accelerated things. Since the outbreak, tenants all over the country have declared rent strikes, faced with the choice of paying for housing or groceries. College students occupy this murky gray zone in the United States. They're technically consumers, but they have to fight tooth and nail for the privilege of paying tuition. Student strikes are common in some parts of Europe, South America, Quebec. Strikes to make education more affordable, accessible, inclusive. But in the United States, where higher education often carries a six-figure price tag, there's not as much of a tradition of undergrad students striking or suing. That is, until now. It's not the service that we expected for the money that I paid. Srini Mysore is another parent of a college student. His daughter Sri is pre-med at Michigan State University. When I first spoke to him on the phone, he hadn't heard about the lawsuits, but he wasn't conflicted about whether he'd want to sue. Can you just tell me, when I told you about the lawsuits, what was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was, can I be part of the class action lawsuit? For Srini and his family, money's always been a part of the conversation about college. He and his wife are both from India, but both studied in the United States. So uh, uh, while we were growing up, we were always taught that, you know, if you get good quality education, you do well in school, you get good jobs and you can make a good living. So we grew up with that um, upbringing. So both my wife and I value college education very much. Um, it's, it's not an option for us. It's an essential uh, thing, just like, you know, having electricity or water in the house, right? Education is not an option for our kids. It's a must. Srini's daughter, Sri, got into Brown. She ended up choosing Michigan State because of money. Michigan State comes out to about $20,000 a year, while Brown would have been closer to $70,000, Srini said. But when she found out the amount of money it cost her to go to school at Brown, and we were pretty open and transparent with, with her 
on how much money we had saved and how long would it uh, last. She said, no, dad, I don't want to go to Brown and I don't want to spend $70,000 a year. I'd rather go to uh, an in-state college. Shree's a practical kid. She knew she wanted to become a doctor. She's known since she was little, actually. Shree started gravitating towards medicine and anything related to healthcare. Back when she was five, six years old, I still remember, <laughs> I don't know, somebody randomly gave her a medical kit as a birthday gift. It's a toy. She <laughs> would play with that all the time, pretending to be a doctor or a nurse. I don't know. But there is a lot of schooling, expensive schooling, on the path to becoming a physician. And when Trini says he'd sue Michigan State, it's not because he has anything against the school. He doesn't. It's a financial, business decision. As a pre-med student, Shree's got science classes that just aren't the same online. All other businesses are reimbursing people for laws of service, like airline industry. I had a flight ticket with Delta to take my family to New York City in summer. Um, Delta gave us credits. Um, we could travel in future without any penalty. Uh, hotels allowed us to cancel without penalty. College is a business, and Srini wants a refund. Or some store credit, at least. The sheer number of colleges getting sued right now might be because of people like Srini. People who see that they're getting an inferior product to what they were promised. Or... Coronavirus might also just be the straw that broke the back of a population riddled with student debt. I just know that, like any college tuition, it's it's not affordable for some people. And personally, it hasn't been a big issue for me, but I do know people who really do struggle to afford their tuition and rely on financial aid and athletic scholarships and stipends. Meredith says she gets why people are suing. For one thing, when the Berkeley classes went online, Meredith says she could tell her professors were doing their best, but it wasn't really a Berkeley-level education. Like her German class. It was that same class that put on the cabaret she'd gone to as a kid. This spring, she was going to be part of the show, singing, dancing on stage. She'd been looking forward to it for years. But the pandemic hit, so they couldn't do the show. And it's supposed to be a production. We we rehearse every day and... We're supposed to, you know, perform on stage at the end of the semester, but um, obviously we couldn't do that. So we, but we kept working and we ended up just recording ourselves and compiling all of the individual recordings and stitching them together and made um, a video version of the performance, which we broadcasted live on Zoom for about 80 people. But it's not just about her German class. Meredith also gets the financial side of why people might want to sue. Even for in-state students, tuition at Berkeley is about $35,000 a year if you're living on campus. Double if you're from out of state. And we're in a pandemic. Over 2 million people are out of work in California right now. It's definitely hard for for some of my friends, and it's definitely very stressful to to watch that and feel— I mean, I just feel helpless a lot because I want to help my friends, but I do know that— Tuition is expensive, and a lot of people struggle to afford it. When Meredith thinks about this stuff, she's thinking mostly about her friends. Friends for whom a Berkeley education is a big financial stretch. She has friends who are thinking about dropping out if classes are still online next semester. But Meredith herself is not in that situation. Her parents haven't lost their jobs. They're still able to afford her tuition and living expenses. 
which is unusual in and of itself. It was even before COVID. Almost 70% of American students had to take out loans to afford college in 2019, according to the Federal Reserve. And Meredith didn't actually understand how unusual her parents' financial situation was until she got to college. Danville is known as being a bubble, and I knew that growing up, but I didn't really understand it until I came to college, and I realized just how sheltered I was growing up. So it's definitely been a big change coming to college, and that's one of the main reasons why I love Berkeley so much is that I feel like I've been introduced to the real world and not just my little Danville bubble, my safe bubble. (laughs) Meredith didn't expect the whole other education she ended up getting at Berkeley. I think one of the bigger things that I, my eyes were opened up to was just people in different um, financial situations than I was. I think that was one of the biggest things I, I came to realize in college because, I mean, there's so many things that divide people and separate people, but something that I just, having grown up in a pretty affluent area I never really experienced was just seeing people who didn't have as much money as me. And that was that's a topic that it's uncomfortable to talk about sometimes and it's uncomfortable to witness, but that's something that definitely I just have, it's my eyes have been opened up to a lot and just making friends with people who look different than me or just come from different backgrounds than me has been the biggest thing at Cal that has changed me and made me more politically aware. So Meredith is sympathetic to the students who are suing, but her mom, the one who's actually paying for college? I wasn't aware of refund lawsuits until uh, I heard about it from, from you. I have not kept up with that development in the news. So my initial reaction was the one that you captured when we first had our talk, which is, oh, really? People are suing universities for refunds? So I was surprised. Let me just jump in here to say that in that first conversation, which I didn't record, Courtney and Meredith disagreed pretty virulently about this. Courtney said she gets why people might ask for refunds for food or housing, but not much else. In the end, she said, your diploma is still going to say UC Berkeley on it. It's the kind of conversation that I'm all too familiar with, from conversations that I've had about political stuff with my own parents, that lots of parents and children are having right now. Anyway, back to Courtney. It's about the prestige of the place, the history of the place, the values of the place. It's, there, there are a lot of intangibles that go into the value of that degree besides just showing up in a specific auditorium on a specific day. Courtney sees coronavirus, classes moving online, as really unfortunate, but also not something you can really blame Berkeley for. My inclination, not knowing all the details, is that they're probably kind of unfair to the to the to the universities. Um, I, I kind of feel like, well, it, it's not like. If a car dealer does bait and switch on you, you know, you see this ad for this one car and you get there to the lot and they don't have that car and they try to sell you something else. That that's that's fraud, you know, that's malice. But this is a natural disaster that affected all of us, not just um, not just the students who are the customers of the university, but the university itself. It's a debate that can go round in circles forever. I do feel a certain extent This is life. Unexpected things happen. And one has to pick oneself up and figure out how to move forward, not necessarily blaming someone else, but trying to figure out the best way 
forward for yourself and for your own university. I got Meredith and her mom on the phone together to talk this through. When some of my friends are going through something, it's I just can't ignore it, you know? You can tell when you talk to Meredith about this stuff that she feels guilty about not having to worry about money while her friends are. I feel like personally responsible to help help my friends and not even just my friends, people I know. And just being a student here, I think it's like part of my responsibility to look out for my fellow students. And that just changes my opinion on it because I feel like I'm seeing things more up close and personal than my parents are. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it definitely, it does change things knowing that my parents are paying for school for me. And I am super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Courtney, I'm curious to hear what um, what you think of what Meredith is saying about feeling this kind of personal responsibility for other people at the school. I feel proud of her. I feel, mm. I feel glad that um, she wants to be a positive force in the lives of her friends. And um, I feel very glad that she appreciates um, that, you know, she ha- is being supported by us and she recognizes the value of that. The fact of the matter is, it sounds like Meredith's time on campus at Berkeley has helped make her into the person that Courtney is so proud of. I don't know. You just get such a different perspective when when you're surrounded by people. Because um, it's also easy to ignore things, um, ignore people's opinions online. You know, you can block anyone. But sometimes in Berkeley, you're forced to hear things that you don't, you might not want to hear. I mean, just as there's a lot of like, very liberal people on this college campus there's just as many just crazy really intense radical people like standing on the street and shouting things and that's something that if I was just at home in Danville I would not see and I wouldn't really care about but I'm just exposed to a lot more when I'm on campus. Ironically Courtney's own college experience is kind of proof of that. She actually had a political awakening of her own when she was at Berkeley in the early 90s. I graduated in 1991, and um, I <laughs> I definitely, um, my consciousness was raised as a student at, at Berkeley, um, but not in a typical way. Berkeley was well known to be a place where liberal thought and ideology um, were were, um, at the forefront. And um, I thought, well, it would be kind of fun or interesting to explore the the opposite side of this coin. And I joined the Berkeley College Republicans. She campaigned for Bush Quayle, had tomatoes thrown at her and her fellow Republicans. Courtney says she was exploring, looking at different ways of thinking. She quit after a while, became more centrist, and considers herself more on the left side of the political spectrum now. But it was it was neat to be in a place like Berkeley where uh, there were lots of ideas being battled. And I'd say I uh, liked being in a place where I could hear different viewpoints and perspectives. They definitely changed me. Meredith went to her very first protest on Donald Trump's inauguration day, the Women's March that happened that day. A couple weeks ago, she went to another. It was a Black Lives Matter protest that ended up outside Berkeley High School, a couple blocks from campus. There was this one guy at the end, and 
His speech was really shocking to me just because, I mean, he even said himself, I'm surprised they haven't shut my mic off yet. Because a lot of people who spoke were, were, you know, saying the right things and saying, you know, and racism, this is bad, blah, 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 defund the police. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I agree. I agree. And and then this guy came at the end and he was saying, can I swear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can swear. He was saying like, well, like, F, F the, like... Republicans, but then he was saying, F the Democrats, like Mm -hmm. they're each one wing on the same bird. Mm -hmm. And then he was saying all this stuff like F America. Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, I was just surprised, but I I kind of was like, okay, like, (laughs) you know what? Yeah. (laughs) You're, if you're confident in what you're saying, I'm going to listen. So definitely it had an impact on me because I was like, you know what? You're right. It feels like we're living in a revolutionary time. It's exciting, Meredith says. But it's also a scary time to be about to graduate from college, enter the workforce. Meredith's still not quite sure what she wants to do for a job. She's majoring in rhetoric and German. She's thought about maybe working in criminal justice reform. But her time at Berkeley has also shown her that some of the things she's been told to expect out of life, they're just not true. Maybe they never were. I had a conversation with my friend the other day about It's kind of really broad, but just this idea of like, work really hard and you will succeed and get whatever you want. And I feel like that kind of phrase right now is really frustrating to hear because it feels like the people that I know who are working the hardest, you know, the ones trying to like make ends meet right now, those are the ones who I'm talking about who might have to drop out or might not be able to, you know, have the same opportunities as me. COVID's made all of this just a little more true. A powerful idea has tightened its hold on the United States over the past couple decades. The idea that college is worth it. That if you go to college, it'll help you climb the economic ladder. Get jobs and opportunities that'd be unavailable to you otherwise. But the American economic ladder is notoriously tricky to climb. A college degree hasn't been a guarantee for a long time, and with COVID, even less so. And as the cost of tuition rises, going to college starts to look more like a gamble. All that might mean that with COVID, the calculus of whether or not to go to college or whether to drop out, it might shift. Our sprawling, expensive higher education system might start to see students deciding that it's just not worth it. Or maybe it won't. For now, Berkeley's told students that some classes will be online next semester, but most of the smaller classes will be in person. Most of Meredith's classes are small, so she'll be on campus next year. But of course, that could change. On COVID time, August feels like it's decades away, completely unknowable. The whole world could be different by then. We've got a lot of people to thank for this episode. Thanks to Meredith and Courtney and Srini and Ron for taking time to speak with us. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. 
When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Every week we receive emails, private messages on Twitter, posts on Facebook from listeners. At the end of every episode, we share sounds from around the world to hear what your lives are like and what you're going through. Hotels in LA are starting to reopen for leisure guests, and many hotel employees are worried about their health and safety. Dozens of local 11 union members held a car caravan last week in protest. The group drove past landmark hotels downtown. Union reps and workers say not enough cleaning and safety measures have been put into place, and that reopening will force low-paid workers, mostly people of color and immigrants, to choose between their safety and their job security. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. Today's episode was produced by Carla Green. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. You can also join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like this show, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history. So please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus, we do want to hear from you. And you can share that story at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Thank you. On behalf of all of us here at Neon Hum, we wish you a happy long weekend. We're going to take Monday off, but we'll be back again on Wednesday. See you then. Mm-hmm.